All right, well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 2. Um, gosh, the way that Brandon set that up, did it get anybody? Like, it's just, we just did what heaven's been doing since God created angelic beings. And then, I mean, you've been in ministry long enough, and remember that song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, came out? And then some worship pastors took that literally, and they just kept singing it over and over. <laughs> Bob, you never did it, but it's like, like, like it, they just, they, they loved that chord. And after a while, I'm like, is he, is he listening still? Like, has he gotten bored? I could see, like, I'm not listening anymore. But the angels have never stopped. Like, they've never gotten bored at no point have they looked upon the glory of God and went, can we do something else? Guys, we get to worship Jesus for eternity. But we just engaged in what angelic beings, it's almost like they're sitting there going, you getting it? You getting it? And I wonder how... This has nothing to do with the message. You're like, where's John 2? I don't know. I'm just, my mind's going. Um, I have a cousin. Um, she's part of Hume and speaks all over the place. And her name's Megan. Um, and she lost her husband a few years ago, very unexpectedly. Uh, he was like 36, had a massive heart attack in the middle of the night. And um, she told me she had to pump his chest, but when he went to the hospital, she couldn't go because she's got two little boys and they were still sleeping. And, um, and I remember I got, my mom told me about it after I preached on that Sunday because it was early Sunday morning. And it just hit, I thought, whoa. Like, I feel like I've had a little bit of a connection. Well, I don't get to see her a ton, but a little connection because we're in the family business. Like it's, we have some kind of connection. But it just, it rocked me. You ever had those conversations with God saying, this sucks. Like, I know I'm supposed to say your kingdom come, your will be done. That ain't my heart right now. This sucks, God. And I don't get this. I mean, you have a, you're leaving behind a little five and two-year-old. I don't get this, God. It was during COVID, and my mother-in-law was, at the time, struggling with multiple myeloma. She passed away in January, but like you, we, we kind of kept our distance a little bit, and so I couldn't, get, I couldn't get to see her. But two weeks later, my wife was up uh, with her mom, taking care of her. Um, she's in the Central Valley, Atwater. If it goes, you pass through it to get somewhere else, but that's where she was. And So I, I found Megan, and we got to spend about an hour and a half together, and I just, when I walked in... Um, First thing she did is she came down the stairs and she asked me if I'd read this book. Now, I don't remember the name of the book. And I was like, no, I haven't, but thank you. <laughs> and then one of the first questions she said is, how could, how could Randy be experiencing joy if we're not with him? How the crap do you answer that one? I'm like, I was just hoping to just sit here and just cry with you. And I gave some dorky answer. It was so stupid. I don't, I, well, yeah, it wasn't even worth sharing it. I think God is like, no, nice try, but that was JV. 
Um, <laughs> you ever walked away thinking that? That's not something Jesus is applauding. Um, <laughs> but I, it, was, it wasn't until, I don't know, six months ago, I was reading through the Psalms. We have a Bible reading plan. I'm on it. I'm still going with it. Um, and there's in the Psalms where it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I actually, I just emailed her about a couple weeks ago. And I said, I want to apologize for what I told you. I try to get philosophical rather than scriptural and biblical and pastoral. I said, the reason that, the, that he's experiencing joy is because God is the fullness of it. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the reason that Randy can not have to worry about his wife and his kids is because he's looking on the glory of God. That all the angelic beings, can you imagine all of us walk into heaven one day and they're looking at us going, do you get why we don't freak out about anything? We're not worrying how this is all going to play out. It's almost like if we could just give you just this little peephole, just this little, you can kind of look through the doorway or a little crack in the doorway and go, this is the God that says, don't be afraid. Like if we really grasped who we were worshiping like they do, where they're covering their eyes with their wings, and it's like, I can't even look on him because he's so glorious and majestic and sovereign. He's sovereign. At no point has he ever wondered, what am I going to do? Friends, he's unfolding his plan. He's not bound by time. He's unfolding his plan. We just engaged in the same thing that the saints who have gone before us have engaged since they entered through the quote-unquote pearly gates and to angelic beings hundreds of millions of angels who are constantly in worship what a pleasure and honor right and in the presence of the lord is the fullness of joy ah thank you for letting me be part thank you brandon for leading us there all right that's the intro let's pray Let's pray and talk to that God, shall we? God, what am I going to say that does any kind of justice to who you are? Not much. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you take this feeble attempt at making much of you and make much of yourself. I pray that you would transform hearts, heal souls, bring us to a place of rest. God, I pray that for those that tried to waste time with you yesterday, I pray they were blessed. And would you teach us that rhythm? God, please forgive us for how busy we are, not because we're saying yes to the things you told us to, but because we're saying yes to the things that you didn't. Would you teach us your rhythm, Jesus? You accomplished everything that you were supposed to accomplish. You said it. I want to be able to say the same thing at the end of my life. Teach us your rhythm so we can say that. And so I pray that this morning would be a time of freedom. And I pray that you would encourage hearts, convict us where necessary to make us look like, look like Jesus. We love you. We thank you for your word. 
Instruct us as you always do, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan, Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Guys, I love the fact that Jesus wasn't just a, like a tag-along to the wedding. Like it says that he was invited as well. Isn't that wonderful? For the longest time, I just pictured Jesus like the ultimate killjoy. I mean, didn't she just like, he's going to show up like a scroll of Hosea at a wedding? All right, stop. Let's get serious. It's holy moment. Let me just read Hosea to you, which would be awkward at a wedding when you're talking about that wedding. <laughs> but isn't he the creator of it? Isn't he the creator of humor? Isn't it fun to laugh? And we don't, it's not like you need to laugh. I, I, I don't think if I, do, if I don't laugh enough today, I'm going to die. It's just because he wants to give it. It's for our joy. It's for our pleasure. You ever laugh so hard you thought your stomach was going to explode? And you sit there and go, okay, stop, stop. But you keep laughing and they keep going. I always tell the youth this. Every time I get to speak at the camp, this somehow will come into a message just because I like to tell it. But it's like, you ever laugh so hard? It's like you're in mixed company and all of a sudden I'm looking at the guys. I'm like, guys, you ever have this happen? Young lady then says, okay, okay, if you don't stop, I'm going to pee my pants. And I say this, and 100% of the time, it always happens. And so I say, gentlemen, if you agree with me in this statement, I want you to say amen when I'm done. Because when you hear that statement, how many of you hear this? Challenge accepted. <laughs> and I say, gentlemen, if you agree, say amen. Every kid, amen. And I'm like, ladies, you've been warned. It's just fun to laugh, right? And some people have like the most amazing laugh. Like once they start laughing, you're just sitting there going, oh my gosh. It feels like a koala bear is massaging my soul. Like, that is so good. So it's just like, oh my gosh. Like, keep them laughing. Or like, a, like when a baby finally figures out how to laugh and they're laughing at like a cup. And then you realize that when people post it on YouTube, the depravity of humanity, that someone would sit there and go, but that kid's ugly. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're filled with a demon. Like, how could you look at that? So you have those people that just have that laugh. And then there's those other people. That doesn't sound good. Like it's almost like <laughs> Minga the demon is trying to escape out of the, yeah, it's like it just goes nuts. And you're like, oh, please stop, please stop, please stop. When we laugh, what do you picture Jesus doing? Do you just picture him going, get it out of you so we can get back to the serious stuff? Guys, I don't picture him being invited to the wedding because they had to. It's like, well, he was the Messiah. They didn't know. He's a great teacher. He hasn't really done much of that. If he has, I don't know the timetable with regards to his teaching. And he's met some disciples. He's been declared by John the Baptist, hey, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Proclaim that, but are people really buying it? Because hasn't other people shown up and done the same thing? He hasn't done anything to prove it. He's talked to a couple disciples. He invites a few of them with him to, his, to the wedding, which they're wedding crashers. It's a little weird. Friends, I don't picture him as the killjoy anymore. I picture him as the life of the party. I picture him as the guy at the table that everyone wants to be at that table because he's just cracking jokes and he's laughing or he's also doing this. He's just listening to the story of the person. I know I need to improve in this. 
I can get so quick to sitting at a table and hearing a story and wanting to connect it to a Jesus story so that person can be ministered to that the whole while I forgot the story because I wasn't listening because I wanted to talk. My cousin says it this way. She says, I want to be more interested than interesting. And I want to be like that, to hear the stories of people. I picture him, that person that everyone wants to be around. Verse 3, here's the problem. When the wine ran out, all the Presbyterians are like, what? <laughs> no. Sorry, that's a little denominational joke. But like, here's the problem. The wine ran out. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. They have no wine. Now, as I've been reading up on this, I mean, over the years, I've loved this passage, one of my favorites. It's possible that Mary, because she hears about the problem, goes to find a solution that she's kind of like in charge of the party. So she runs up to Jesus, they don't want more wine, which is a huge shame on the family. That they can't provide for all their guests. And remember that a wedding back in the day was not like a wedding is today. Wedding is, you try to do the later afternoon, sunset, perfect pictures. And then, it, and then the, uh, the reception is a few hours, but not too long because they need to be whisked away. But weddings most of that time were done later afternoon, if not evening. They'd be walked around the town. They were getting married with, with, with lanterns or with torches so that they could proclaim, this is what's happening, celebrate that as a community. And then they would get married, but then they don't get whisked away. They stick around. And it could last up to a week. And they get to where these ornate, they, they look like king and queen. They're, they're sitting there. It's like whatever they say goes. It's like you're treating them like royalty. This is what Jesus is at, celebrating. They ran out of wine. And this would be a huge shame for the family because they couldn't, they couldn't provide for their guests. And in verse 4, this is how Jesus spoke to his mom. Woman? Dang. Jesus just womaned his mama. Like, woman? Oh, if I did that to my mom, my dad would shoot me. Literally, like he was a sniper and a cop. I'm like, this is not good. Woman? What does this have to do with me? Now, is that what he was doing? Of course not. He wasn't woman and his mom. Guys, it's just a normal term that they would use, and he, he speaks to her the same way that most men spoke to, their, to women or to their moms. But says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And I think that there's just a practical part to that question. And the practical part is this. It's like Jesus is a carpenter. He's build, he builds stuff. And she comes running up to him and goes, they don't have more wine. Okay, unless Jesus is building a, a table over here and then moonshining over here and squishing grapes. It's like, why do you go to Jesus with this? And so maybe there's an application for us. That thing that you don't think that Jesus can relate with, he can relate with because he already has the solution for it. It's like, why would you come to me with that? And we know the story. We know after all this happened and our, our perspective should move us to go to Jesus no matter what and go, okay, I'm coming to you with this problem and I know that it doesn't seem like it's massive to anyone else, but it's massive to me. Think about it. To the almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent God, is there a problem that is harder than the other? Friends, God holds all things together. Right now, we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Like, do you feel it? Because if you do, that sucks for you. But we're going 1,000 miles an hour. <laughs> While we're going 1,000 miles an hour, we're going around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. 
And while all that's happening, the sun and the nine planets, and yes, I hold to the nine. Pluto, still in it for me. I don't care what they keep saying. Oh, he's too small. He's bigger than you. Shut up. So the sun and the nine, nine planets, guys, we're going around the nucleus of our Milky Way galaxy at 540,000 miles an hour. All this is happening right now. And the writer Colossians, Paul says, and in him all things hold together. There's not one thing that's harder than the other. Friends, if he pulled off Easter, I think he can figure this part out. So why do we fret? Why do we worry? Because isn't it at some point, if we're honest, if this doesn't work out, this will look good, this will look bad on me. And this would look bad on our church if God doesn't come through. Isn't there a little bit of pride still? Isn't there a little bit of ego that still drives us? Because don't we want to do well? Don't we want to know that when we finish, when we finished our part and the next person takes over, we've set up the church for the next 4,000 years because if it dies after us, then it must have been a failure. But what if Jesus says, I only want you to do your part for seven years and I'm gonna close that church and move them all over the place and take my church, which is the gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose, has nothing to do with the people. I'm gonna send them out. This one's not even gonna be here anymore, but you've done your part. Well done, good and faithful servant. What if we could sit there and go, I wanna think about the kingdom of God rather than just trying to build my own. So at the end of it, I can say, look at my legacy. Look what I did. Do you really think that as David wrote the Psalms, he was sitting there going, I really hope people read this thousands of years later? Or do you think he just was worshiping God? Friends, are you trying to do ministry so that it's a legacy? Or are you just loving Jesus and let him worry about the legacy? And what we bring to him, it could be simple or massive. But to him, it's all the same. And what's he say when we freak out? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Shh, 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 I got this. But doesn't it feel like at times he doesn't? Remember that story, Mark chapter 2, oh no, chapter 4. Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. And they all go out. And then what's Jesus do when he's with them the first time? just falls asleep and guys it was uh, <laughs> and he stayed asleep and don't picture like these massive cruise liners like a fisherman's boat so I picture just water hitting him and he's like <sighs> he's gone and I, here's a youth pastor story um, youth pastors I don't know if you still do them or, anymore but I believe that these were of the devil um, all-nighters why did we put ourselves in those situations? And we would do things. <laughs> this was when I was at Cornerstone, which Bob and Donna don't go back and tell the stories because I don't want to be sued later. But this is what happened. And we would take kids and put them on, <laughs> put them on like snow toboggans and just send them down the stairs. It's like, go, go, who's first? This is so great. And they're going around the corner. But I, rem I remember they said, can we do these? And I was like, I hate these. Like, well, think about it. I'm going gonna, gonna to hang with like 80 mis like middle schoolers and high schoolers. Or I could be at home in bed with my wife. You lose. 
I didn't say that. That'd be awkward. But that's what I felt like. He said, oh, I said, will you stay awake? Yeah, we'll stay awake the whole time. Well, then all of a sudden, kids are showing up, and they've got sleeping bags and pillows. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I said, you see, you would stay up all night. This is just if we get tired. Oh, like, I won't? I said, okay. So they do the other thing about 3, 3.30, then the wall hits. And everyone's like, I love this. I hate you. I hate They're all mad. The sugar's all gone. <laughs> and so I was like, let's just go to bed because you don't like me, and I could care less about you. So... <laughs> You said, I go, wow, those kids were blessed. I could even care less about the moment. So we put the guys upstairs in the church building, and then we had, a, we had a house across the alley. Do you guys still have that? Across the alley. So across the alley, I think it's called the Cornerstone House. Across the alley, that's where I put the girls. Completely separated them, and I stood in the middle. I did not sleep. I just stood there for obvious reasons, because I don't want a kid going home pregnant. That would suck. So I'm standing here. Seven o'clock, it's time to wake up because I'm not cleaning this up by myself. I'm all bitter and angry. Wish I could say, oh, I felt like Jesus. I'm a servant. Nope, nope, get your butts out. So I, I grab my guitar. I know like seven chords, which I, maybe a lot of worship pastors only know that, but I only know seven chords. I only know seven. And so I walk, not you, Brandon, but I walk upstairs and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not gonna wake them up nicely. I don't wanna be here. And so I, I remember like, hey guys, get up. They don't move. So I just turned all the lights on and I just start strumming. I'm not even holding a chord. I'm like, ah, da, 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 da. they still wouldn't move. So I took it off. And at the time I was about 280 pounds and I just laid down and I just rolled over all of them. <clears throat> I get to this kid that's like this big. And when I got on top, like rolling on, all of a sudden he goes, ah, ah. so I stayed there for just a second. <laughs> and then I kept going. I gotta go wake up the girls now. Quality, right? I'm just joking. I did that. No, that's what you get arrested for. So here we go. I, I knock on the door. Then the girl, a girl opens the door. And she goes, uh, hey, good morning. As if she wasn't sleeping. Why are we so afraid of people knowing that we're sleeping? It's like, hello. I'm like, shut up. I know you were sleeping. So I said, is everyone awake? Most of them are awake. Everyone's, everyone's dressed for good. But there was this one young lady, first time ever, she was there. She was still in her sleeping bag. And so I walked up and I tapped and said, hey. And then I thought, Oh, crud, I don't remember her name. Hey, buckaroo, I don't, like, what do I call you? And she wouldn't move, so I just tapped her on the shoulder, and then she goes, no. I'm like, oh, okay. I said, no, no, it's time to get up. You need to go home. No. And then she, and it's like that deep. And I thought, what happened to her? And then she goes into the sleeping bag, <laughs> like further. And I'm like, now this is, okay, I get grumpy. This is rebellion. So I start to peel it back a little bit, and I go, no, no, you need to get up. No, and she keeps going. And I said, if you don't get up, I'm going to pour water on your head. And she goes, no, and she goes right back down. It's like, if you throw out a threat, what do you have to do? You got to follow through. And then in my mind, I'm like, where do you think you're going to go? At the end of this sleeping bag is a zipper. Unless that leads, unless this sleeping bag leads to Narnia, you're screwed. Like, it's not going to happen. So I went into the kitchen. I, I didn't find a cup. I found the biggest thing I could find. And I thought if she heard the water, she would go, okay, I need to get up. And I just let it go. It's like my dad always said, follow through. Follow. Yes. Praise the Lord for you, Jesus. So I walked back in. I gave her one more warning. Hey, I need you to get up. No. Pulled that sucker back. Wham. Man, she got up. She's like, wham. And she looked me straight in the belly button. She's like, Ugh. I said, well, good morning. 
She never came back, but I won. <laughs> so, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's the right heart. Please don't lose respect for me. <laughs> but but when, I mean, when I slammed that water in her head, man, she was awake. But when Jesus gets it on the boat, he's out. And I'm like, why would you not wake up? Jesus, I'm trying to make a whole biblical thing out of this. Why wouldn't you wake up? <laughs> Let me just close in prayer. We'll be done. <laughs> Jesus told him to get in the boat. Then the storm comes and Jesus falls asleep. Have you ever felt like you did exactly what God told you to do and then the storm hit and God fell asleep on you? Like, where'd you go? I did exactly what you wanted. And now I'm just going through it. Like, if you knew the storm was coming, why tell me to get in the boat? But do you remember what happens at the end? They run over, don't you care if we drown? Which is really what we all say, right? The storm has, God, don't you care? Don't you care about me? And Jesus gets up and what's he do? He talks to wind and waves and they obey. Do you realize the only thing in all of creation that has a hard time obeying God is humanity? Every other part of creation obeys gladly. Like God just, like there's God in a boat, Jesus standing in a boat and he's like, hey, shut up. Okay, we're just, we're just playing. And what are the disciples? They're like, who is this guy? Isn't it amazing how often we ask God to reveal more of himself to us and then he does through a storm and we say, take it away because I don't want to know you that well. The next time they're in the, they're in the boat, he's not in the boat with them. But he walks in the water and they're freaking out. They're terrified. And then he gets in the boat and what do they do? They worship him. You want to go deeper into worship? Expect the storm. Expect the problem. Expect the crisis. Guys, the storm, the wilderness, it's all part of the journey. It's not automatically that there's sin in our lives. It can be. Like, if you need to repent, confess and repent, then do that. But if you're sitting there going, God, what is it? And you're being honest. You're seeking counsel from other followers of Jesus that love Jesus more than they love you, so they'll actually tell you the truth. And there's nothing. And you trust God in the process. Because isn't it amazing how often we cried out to him or we cry out to him in the storm more than in the times of comfort? And so isn't the most loving thing that God can do is to bring the storm. So we'll actually seek him more. There's the problem. No more wine. He says, what does this have to do with me? My hour hasn't yet come. It's like I'm not, suppo- I'm not telling anybody I'm the Messiah yet. Isn't it amazing that two chapters later to a Samaritan woman at a well, one person, she was the first one to get to hear about it? He didn't, he didn't proclaim it to the masses with a megaphone. He tells one woman that he's, quote, unquote, not supposed to talk to. He says, my hour hasn't come, and what's, what's Mary do? He said to, or she, she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. See, that phrase that Jesus used, what does this have to do with me? It could be in anger, I don't agree, get away. But in gentleness, it could be like this. I know this doesn't make sense. And what I'm about to do doesn't make sense. And you're wondering how it's all going to happen. Trust me. Leave it with me. I got it. And maybe for some of you, you need to hear that. Trust me. I got it. Leave it with me. I got it. In other words, can you hear me? Yeah? 
go play. I got it. Do whatever he tells you, but isn't that the greatest advice we could ever be given as followers of Jesus? Guys, this whole thing about following Jesus, have we complicated it a little bit? If I could say, hey, just do this, just do whatever Jesus says. Why? Because that's what his apprentices do. That's what his followers do. Just do whatever Jesus says. Just do that. I have this highlighted in my Bible. Just do whatever Jesus says. In your marriage, just do whatever Jesus says. Raising your kids, just do whatever Jesus says. If I do that, will it all turn out perfect? No. It will all turn out the way that God wants it to, and he'll redeem all the crap and make it something that brings him glory. But you be faithful. You just be obedient. You follow, abide, love. Don't just, hey, here's the checkbox. List, 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 list. I'm doing what you're telling me to do. Absolutely. But behind that is this heart of wanting to be with him because that word abide, you know what it means? To constantly be in the presence, to never leave. We have to go, I have to come back in the presence. I never want to leave. All day, every day, every minute of every single day, all year long, always with Jesus. And when you're with them, just do what he says. Just do what he says. Go back to that. And wouldn't the world look different if the church would just do that? Verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. So Mary walks off. Jesus looks at the servants. See all those jars? Yeah. Go fill them up. With what? Water. Hmm. Let me think through this for just a second, Jesus. We were here when she said, you have, we have no more wine. Wine. One syllable, my friend. You're saying water. What is 180 gallons of water going to do here? But isn't it, they filled them to the brim. What was it? Because they said, they go, you're worthy. You're worthy. You must be the Messiah. You're, he hasn't done a miracle yet. Guys, you ever had somebody ask you to fill up their drink for them and you bring it back filled to the brim? <laughs> Just to mess with them a little bit. Like you bring it back, there you, there you go. I don't know the reason why they filled it. I wonder if that's part of the reason. But then we're so used to, hey, fill these things up with water. And you're like, okay. And so you just grab a hose. I'm pretty sure they didn't have them. So how do you fill up 180 gallons of water? You got to somehow get that thing to the what? The well. You got you to drop a bucket. You got to bring it back up. You got to fill it. And you got to fill it. And you're taking, say it's a gallon a bucket, a gallon, 180 times. The party's going on, friends. No one has a clue. This is all secret. Mary knows. The, I'm sure the bride and groom know. The family know. Mary's taking care of it. I gave it to Jesus. Don't worry about it. He might make a chair. He might take, I don't know what he's going to do. So, hey, hey, fill this up all, fill all these up with water. And then it says, hey, how do we do it? Let's get to the well. Somehow get these things filled up 180 times. Do you think anybody cares to watch this? Do you think the servants got tired of doing this? This isn't impressive. No one are like, where are the servants? I miss them. Oh, they're outside filming. Oh, are they? Everyone takes out their phones. Take pictures. Take video. Look at the graceful action of their wrists as they're filming. Oh, my gosh, we could totally go viral. 
Guys, this is mundane. This is boring, mundane work that no one's applauding. Over and over and over, and then bring them all back in. And then it said in verse 8, And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And then it says, So they took, so they took it. They. I'm thinking, how many people does it take to take a glass of water? But it didn't say, and one of them took it. It says they took it. Can you imagine as they go? And all they did, bring him back in, and Jesus goes, take that to the master ceremony. What? I'm not looking stupid by myself. Come on. Come on. Everyone pretend like you need to help me carry it. I'm not doing this by myself. It says they went, and then they present it. And what was the response? Verse 9, I'm sorry. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. Don't skip over that part. We think that's just a narrative. Something happened to the molecular structure that moved it from water into wine. He's like, but it's not a big one. Okay, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, I'm telling you, just, there's a water fountain over here at the chapel. Turn that sucker into wine. Every high schooler will think you're cool. Never mind. <laughs> but do it. Can we do it? Absolutely not. We look at it. It's like sometimes we just pass over because it's part of the narrative. Get to the point. No, it, he turned it into wine. And the master of the feast did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine or the best wine until now. Dang, Jesus had a sweet side business. Why 180 gallons, though? I mean, that's a lot of wine. Guys, I wish I could say that I found, like, the nugget. But maybe it's just a reminder of grace. You know that grace that God lavishes on us? Jesus didn't have to make that much wine, right? But he lavished them by his grace. Friends, when I present the problem to God, when I can actually release it, then I can experience him lavishing grace. I'm convinced that for every person that God calls into leadership to care for his people, he will give them a limp. Every single one of us. And it's hard. Some situation that will just alter your whole perspective. And sometimes it's, it's quick and other times it's this long drawn out thing, but I'm convinced we all have to have a limp. And about 17 years ago when my wife called me because she had a doctor's appointment because of a lump that was on her throat and they took a biopsy and said, I don't worry about it, I have a kid. And I still remember it's 17 years ago because it was a month after Dylan was born that she found out that she had thyroid cancer. But the doctor at no point told me to come in. So there's my wife with my two-year-old and my one-month-old all by themselves. Oh, I wanted to smack a doctor. Guys, I did not feel pastoral at that moment because I get the phone call while I'm at work. I remember I picked up the phone and I was working on something. I was grabbing something and the first thing she said is, are you sitting down? I said, nope, and I sat down. And she got the words out, I have cancer. Oh, he's still even tear up. It's been such a long time. Not because I'm afraid of what's next. It's just because I remember what it was like. I remember I grabbed my stuff and I had this sweet little old, old lady um, as, a, as an assistant, little grandma. That was her, we called her grandma. 
because Marguerite, and she just passed away last week, um, bummed out because I can't go to her service. It's on Monday. Oh, but she was so good. I'd be working on like putting calendars together, and she walks in, and she goes, Brian, that's my job, and she'd pick it up and walk it off, and I'm like, what, what do I do then? guess I'll go hang with a kid. <laughs> but she was just always protective. I remember I grabbed my stuff, put my glasses, my sunglasses on so that she couldn't read into my soul. <laughs> oh, I struck a nerve. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, <laughs> and grandma can read through him. She stopped me. She goes, what's the matter? He's like, nothing. She goes, you're lying. <laughs> you don't want to tick off grandma. And I told her and she goes, Stop. Let me, I'm going to call all the staff members, and we're going to pray. And I said, no, I can't. I got to go. She goes, I hear you. Okay. You have 10 seconds to get out of this building. I said, what are you going to do? I'm going to call them all together. We're going to pray. I'm like, are you serious? She goes, I'm counting. I'd go running down the steps, and I'd get to the car, and I'd get to the next parking lot on our church property, and I just screamed out to God, seriously, my whole life's about you. And I can't protect her from this. God, you're giving me the shaft. You know what verse came to my mind? It wasn't, it wasn't anything that's like God's love. The first verse that came to my mind is out of the book of Job, where God pretty much says something like this to Job. Are you going to count me in the wrong so you can be in the right? Like, how dare you? I drove home the speed limit-ish. I was calling people on the phone when it was legal to pray. And I remember, I, friends, I wish I could tell you that when I walked in that kitchen, I remember I pulled the car in the garage, tiny little house. I mean, the kitchen is about the size of the bat, of that piano. And I remember I walked in, and there's my wife at the sink washing dishes after she just heard the news. And here's my two-year-old having a hot dog. Because it's right. So here he is having a hot dog. And my one-month-old's over here on the floor. Okay, not, he's in his carrier on the floor. We don't just fling our kids on the kitchen floor. But he's just hanging out. Friends, this was my first thought. God, I don't know how to be a single dad. I don't know how to do this. I didn't say that out loud. I figured that would be a bummer. And I just hugged on to her. And that whole process, friends... I don't want to do it again, but I'll never trade it. I would never trade it. When she went through a surgery, before, we t- before they took out, um, actually before the surgery, oh, she had a surgery, and she had to have a, um, radioactive iodine treatment, which meant go to the hospital, take one pill, and stay there for a week. And if I went in to visit her, I'd picture a room that's seriously as wide as this stage, and she'd have to sit over there, and I'd have to stand there with a monitor this far away from her for five minutes. That's it. And then I'd have to leave and make sure that the number said zero. I did that one time. I couldn't take it. I called her. I had better conversations on the phone. I remember, though, before we left, it was a few months after the surgery, and as we're leaving, her parents were watching the boys, and Tyler's Two and a half, he's waving, like all happy, doesn't know. Dylan's just there. And she's all strong, and I'm pulling out, and I go around the corner. Oh, you know the parts in the scripture is like you beat your chest or you beat your breast. Oh, she literally just burst out crying. It's like, it just hurts so bad. 
because she knew she would never nurse Dylan again. And she had to say to her, bye to her boys for two weeks. And man, my heart broke. And it, and it broke to leave her there. And it broke after the second surgery. And then it broke through the whole process when I thought she was healed and it wasn't. And the levels were going up. And I'm like, God, you say you care about us. And there was even a point where they, she had a scan and they thought they saw something on her brain. And then I seriously, I remember when she told me that. I was at home. I was watching the boys when she went. And when she came in and told me, she tells me the news. They think they might have seen something on my brain. I got to go to the grocery store. And then she left. And I'm like, you can't drop the bomb on me and then say, I got to buy some salami. Like, it doesn't make sense in my head. And I remember I sat down on the couch and a buddy of mine, um, he preached a message at APU and he talked about denying self, pick up your cross and follow me. And we think that deny self means just keep all the bad things away. He's like, that's not denying self, that's just self-denial. Denying, denying self means everything that you would bear hug. Your family, your friends, your ministry, everything that's important. I'm going to hold on and keep all the bad away. No, you do nothing with this. You do everything with this. And that popped in my head. And I sat on the couch and I just cried out to God and I went, okay, God. Boom, I put these on my, on my lap and I said, she's yours. But if you take her, you better help me with the pain. And I never once prayed for her healing after that. And you say, wow, well, you're a great husband. No, because I, heard the, I know the verse. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Casting doesn't mean here it is. Let me have it back and remind you. It was yours. I prayed for her comfort. I prayed for peace on her mind. I prayed, as, I prayed that, that she would experience something with God that was so unique. But the healing? No, God, that's yours, whatever you want. Guys, when we can release it, just do whatever he says. And the outcome is his. And whatever the outcome is, he is worthy of praise. And he is worthy of worship because the angels have looked upon him and they've given him praise in all that happened in the history of this book. No matter what calamity it was, the angels did not stop and go, should I still? Because of who he is. The thing is, these servants had no clue who he was. No clue. They just did what he said. But this is the best part, and this is where I'll close it. And I just saw the time. Brandon, you can come back up. I'll, I'll land the plane. Verse 11, this is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the first one. Jesus manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Why? Because some unnamed servants filled 180 gallons of water. Because they did this. No one knew. No one cared. They did this. Friends, you want the front row seat to the miraculous? What do you think? The, or not the, the servants thought. They present this to the master ceremony. He goes, this is the best I've ever tasted. What? Who got the front row seat to the miraculous? The ones who are faithful in the mundane. You want to see the miraculous? You leave the miraculous to Jesus. Our job's not to create the miraculous and not even create a, an atmosphere and a worship gathering of the miraculous. Leave that to God. What do we do? Just fill some jars. Just fill some jars. And no one, 
Maybe no one will applaud. Maybe no one will notice. And what if it's just the one person that everyone else neglected? Guys, read the ministry of Jesus, God incarnate. That's who we're supposed to follow because he's the great shepherd. Shepherds, we follow him. Look at how often he leaves the masses for the one. A majority of the things we see in here is Jesus with the one. Followers of Jesus, I didn't say shepherds or pastors. Why? Because first and foremost, we're disciples. We get a role. We might even have a spiritual gift of shepherding. Yet that is not our identity. Here's what you do. Tomorrow, just fill some jars. You're like, I don't see anything. Just fill some jars. And fill them to the brim. A little sass. You want to you do that, Jesus? I'll fill that up. I'll fill that sucker up to the brim. And I think at some point when I do that, he's like, that's what I like to see. You're finally obeying. Just fill some jars, friend. And what's the outcome because they filled some jars? Jesus manifested his glory. Two, his disciples believed in him because some people filled some jars. Followers of Jesus who get to lead and care for God's people, here's your, here's your job. Just do whatever Jesus says. Even if it's as mundane as filling jars, just fill jars. Why? Because the outcome, he will manifest his glory and people will believe in him. Isn't that what we're about? Don't force it. Just do the simple, mundane things. Let's get back to the simplicity of following Jesus. What if it doesn't turn out the way that we thought? Oh, thank God. <laughs> Maybe we need to stop praying to God and telling him what he should do. And just say, God, I don't know how to pray because I feel like what I ask would be way too small. I have two options here and you have infinite possibilities. Friends, just be faithful in filling some jars. And when you do, I'm convinced, the applause of heaven is deafening and the ovation of Jesus is mind-blowing. Stephen got to see it. Before, while he's being martyred, saw it. I believe that every single follower of Jesus gets to see the same thing. Just do this. If you can do this, miracles will happen. Because he does those. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you that you do the miraculous. You call us to the simple obedience, the simple following. God, please erase. Destroy within us our pride and our ego where we feel like we actually have to build up our church. All you've called us to do is do what you say. Jesus, I thank you that you tell us, for two or more have gathered in my, in my name, there I am in their midst. Jesus, may we be more concerned and excited about the presence of Jesus rather than the attendance that shows up. Because if you'll show up, quote unquote, for two, shouldn't your presence be enough, God? Shouldn't be, that be what we want the most? And we'll just care for the ones you bring. And we'll entrust you with adding daily those who are being saved. Help us to be faithful in the mundane. And would you give us the front row seat to the miraculous? And we'll continue to fill jars because you're worth it. You're worthy and you're worth it. 
And so, God, in this last song as we sing together this morning, Holy Spirit, would you help us to worship Jesus in a manner worthy of Jesus? And in this time, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Can everyone hear Jesus say, amen? Love you, man.